You know you've got to sing along. Don't you know? This is the Cabinets HR Podcast, hosted by Jason Cabinets. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners, founders, and people in tech startups in HR. If you fall into one of these categories or are just curious about them, then this is the podcast for you. You will gain great insights from these great conversations. The Cabinets HR Podcast is brought to you by Cabinets HR. At Cabinets HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people by automating the HR process. We believe that you don't need a full-time HR person to receive full-time HR expertise. Hello, and welcome to the Cabinets HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Our guest today is Katya Permanova. Katya, are you ready to be great today? Yes, I am. Katya is an international catalyst and has experience working and living in five countries, the U.S., Russia, Switzerland, India, and Ghana, in three industries. Industry, I mean, in three industries, energy, education, and robotics. She's a third-time entrepreneur, having helped bridge Russian and U.S. universities at a hexagon and building a community for for European industry students. Yes, Europe. She is now launching a new venture dedicated to accelerating tech development by using data to matchmake companies across industry and, and country borders. Katya, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So what do you, what are you focus on right now? What's keeping you busy? So I'm working on a concept I've, I've been thinking about for the last couple of years. Um, I'm calling the concept right now, Network of Networks. The challenge I've seen having lived and worked in so many different countries and industries is that a lot of the communities are pretty siloed. So I started off in nuclear engineering and you know, as an industry, you know, we had our own conferences, we had our own conversations, and you know, there really was not as much overlap with the policymakers or with the renewable energy community as I think there could be. Um, So the results is you have some progress or some technology that, you know, is limited in terms of what it can do and the impact that it can make because it just takes longer to get through Congress if there's not as much communication or some sort of hybrid plant does not come around as quickly as it could if those communities actually we're working together in a more effective way. And same goes for different countries as well. Um, you know, working in the, in the U.S., you have you know, English-speaking conferences. You go, uh, you travel, you're sort of familiar with the industry in the U.S., with the universities. And certainly there's a lot of communication with Europe. But say, for example, with Russia, there's a language barrier. There's a cultural barrier. Um, but both countries are very advanced. Again, I'll stick to the nuclear example in the nuclear space, though there are other examples such as space. But it it is challenging to find the right person to work in the other country, um, but can be quite beneficial. So I'm trying to figure out how do we make these connections happen in a much more efficient and effective way, spanning these traditional boundaries um, and not really trying to rely on, oh, let me go to a different event and hope to run and say person in the elevator. but actually leveraging data to map out who's working on what. So when someone reaches out and says, hey, I'm looking to expand to somewhere in Asia, don't really have the background for it, don't really have the time to go and dig up these contacts cold myself, who would you recommend? They're 
is a database of more optimal contacts that you can find. Um, and then potentially looking at building out a human network of people who can actually then verify and provide those connections uh, if desired to. So that's the general, general premise of the idea. So this sounds like it's pretty high level, big, like big vision idea. Have you had a challenge explaining to people what you're trying to do or is this is above a lot of people's uh, heads? Uh, I think something that's more relatable, that's sort of the pitch to the tech industry, something that's more relatable to a person um, is say you're looking for someone in a, you know, you're doing some research or you're looking for some sort of customers um, in your day-to-day job. When sort of in the last couple of years, have you had a situation where you met someone you're like, Oh my gosh, where was this person half a year ago or a year ago? Or you're going to a conference or an event and you're trying to find a specific collaborator, some type of person that meets certain criteria. And you're like, there's 2000 people here. You know, am I going to run into them in the elevator? They're, you know, that sort of frustration with trying to find the right, right person. Um, sort of spans even just like more in a personal, um, not organizational level, uh, day to day as well. Yeah. That happens to me all the time. Like you meet someone like, where were you at like six months ago? You know, like this is too late for me now. Yeah. And then we're super excited to meet the right person at the water cooler. And it's like, you know, if you just sort of abstract, like the coolness aspect of it, it's like, really, that's, that's not the most efficient way for those sorts of meetups to happen. And maybe that person's great. But maybe there's a more ideal match somewhere out there that you just have not met. You know, very similar to dating or headhunting. Um, you just sort of try to, you know, look at the look at the local network that you have um, and just hope because you want to hope that that is the right connection, but it may not be. So, what's your long-term vision for 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 the company and for you're trying to do? So right now I'm starting off with the California energy space. Um, it is a you know big challenge, as you said previously. Um, so I'm trying to attack it piece by piece and then expand out, still probably staying in the energy space, uh, but around the world, or potentially starting to build in other industries, staying in the California US space. Um, but my goal by the end is to be covering you know, any sort of technology related industry out there, energy, space, materials, biotech, et cetera, um, around the globe to really help accelerate technological progress. Um, so a pretty wide spanning network with a very strong um, database that, is, that has the ability to be updated and predict um, possible partnerships fairly reliably. So, Katie, are you working on this by yourself or just by yourself right now? You have a team helping you out. Yeah, right now I'm two months in working on this full time by myself. Um, I am actively looking for people to join the team. I have reached out to some people in my network uh, to see who would be interested in both the concept as well as working on an early stage startup. Uh, so, I am all in for people are curious on working on the idea some sort of background in data analytics and machine learning would be certainly an advantage um, to be able to build out the tool better. Katia, you, you've worked in several different countries. From your experience, what have been some pros and cons of working in different countries? I think it's been really exciting to see 
help people live life in different ways, um, different priorities that you have. And also say, you know, in the U.S., it's at least in the circles that I've been in. In the U.S., you have different circles, but it's very you know, work, work, work. You know, you can relax a little bit, but the primary focus is working um, and doing well and progressing up the career ladder. Um, when I was living more in Europe, and certainly there are people in Europe that are, um, you know, of that same vein. But in Switzerland, sort of the, the general culture that I perceived in Europe was, you know, really appreciate life. You know, you work to support your life, but um, it's it was much more relaxed and slower paced. And when I was in Lausanne in Switzerland doing my master's, you know, we were like, why are you working so hard? Go to the lake and some wine. And it was it was a very different perspective but it sort of challenged me and said well why why do I feel this way about it um you know in India as well just with you know going um in New Delhi for example just the Mumbai just the number of people and people living on the streets people people living in very sort of poor uh, apartments or very ritzy you know Ritz Carlton staying in Ritz Carlton's um lifestyle you see all these different strata of people all sort of living together pretty calmly. And there's not really much like, Ooh, this is, no, this is uncomfortable. Um, they're all sort of in the same spot and different religions, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, and it was really interesting to see sort of the, the peace and the balance that they had there compared to the more sort of stratified communities I've seen elsewhere. Um, so I enjoy traveling and I think it's, it certainly helps to see life from different perspectives to figure out how you feel about it as well. Yeah, I was in the army for 25 years. So, you know, I, I live in a whole lot of different, many different countries. It always makes me how most Americans believe like the American culture, or not the American culture, the local state or city culture is the only culture that there is, you know, that's always amazing me how they don't open their eyes up to see different things. Yeah, for sure. That's another good point. It's not just the countries. It's also city versus suburban versus rural uh, as well. So this is kind of the same question, but you've been an entrepreneur in different countries. Is being an entrepreneur in these countries, is, is entrepreneurship the same in your point of view in each country or is each country entrepreneurship a, very, a little different? Uh, I think probably two things. One thing is, um, you know, sort of the resources available for entrepreneurs in these different countries is very different. Um, Russia's sort of innovation ecosystem and investment ecosystem is, you know, it's coming up and they're working on establishing um, more of a traditional sort of VC investment structure and, you know, various accelerators, incubators, but it's, it's very minimal right now. Europe also has some, but talking with European entrepreneurs and sort of comparing them to the U.S. experiences and some entrepreneurs that work in Europe and are looking to get into the U.S. market, um, their comments are that, you know, it's very hard to raise money in the EU. Again, there are some programs that support them, but not as many. Whereas in the U.S., it's sort of, there's a plethora of it. You sort of go and get it if you have a convincing um, enough pitch and business model. There's, you know, dozens of programs you can apply to, um, lots of pockets of VC money. So that's a huge advantage to the U.S. Um, I think the second thing is cultural. Uh, in the U.S., it's you know risk taking is accepted. It's more okay to do it. It's sort of encouraged. The trendy thing now, you know, you're walking down San Francisco and 
know, so many people sit down in a cafe, randomly meet someone, oh, like, what startup are you working on? It's sort of, you know, expected and a lot of young people are curious to do it. Um, whereas in, you know, Russia and Europe, it's more conservative. It's not, you know, it's sort of scarier to fail. You know, there are certainly pockets like Berlin, um, Lausanne, London that are more entrepreneurial, um, but the general sentiment is different. I think in India, however, it was very curious to see um, the entrepreneurial mindset from sort of running a local shop all the way up to sort of the big, big companies like Tata that got formed um, some time ago as well. There, the culture was a lot, you know, certainly the resources there, there are some, it's still, I think, up and coming, but the culture seemed to be more there. Katia, how's a startup scene in San Diego? Oh, tricky question. I think, I think everything really is relative. Um, for me, I'm more used to the scene that I could expect in, you know, in Boston, New York, San Diego is a little bit slower and I think the industries here are not exactly the ones that I, um, you know, if I was in biotech, this would be an awesome place to, to be in. If I was in uh, working in military applications, same thing as well. Um, so it's, I think it's a, sort of a calm place to be and it's a good ecosystem to study for the energy space, for example, because it is uh, fairly contained, but it's sizable enough. Um, I think a lot of the, the resources though that I would try to get as well as people are sitting in other cities like uh, San Francisco, LA has some, um, Boston and New York. So I'm trying to figure out strategies for, for leveraging the different resources in the, in the cities um, that are appropriate for what I'm looking to do. Katia, how, how did you become interested in STEM? What, what, what brought you into being so involved and being, you know, making that a career? So very early on, um, you know, my parents were pretty invested in my education and getting me going. My um, dad and my grandfather are both nuclear engineers. And sort of the expectation growing up was, oh, you would be also a nuclear engineer. You would get your master's, master's and PhD, you work in the industry. Um, and that would be sort of your, um, your career. My mother's a software engineer. Um, so both of them had a very sort of technical, um, background and that was the expectation growing up. And, you know, I think it's sort of my mind sort of worked with it. I, I got physics, I got math, um, you know, did like extra things at home, sitting Russian physics and math, uh, textbooks. Um, you know, I think it, I also liked seeing what I was the results of what I was working on. So I was part of the first robotics club in high school as well. Um, I remember applying for colleges. I was like, do I want to do engineering? Do I want to do science? You know, I limited down to those. Um, the engineering aspect sort of was more exciting to me because you physically get to see what, what you're building um, and the results of it a lot faster than you can with science. So I think uh, parental recommendations and then self-realization. So Katie, you talk about different aspects of STEM. Is there, which, is there one part of STEM you like the best or to you all the same now? Hmm. Um, I think that sort of technology has done a lot for society um, and being to improve the 
quality of life, in being, you know, for us to be able to cure diseases, for us to be able to travel to, you know, space. Hopefully that's going to continue growing. But, you know, some really cool things like that that are just progressing our species. Um, you know, artificial intelligence is going to bring some super exciting things. There's certainly a debate out there if it's going to take over, um, you know, humans at some point, but I'll leave that for a different discussion. I just think a lot of those things are fundamentally improving, whereas a lot of other things are, you know, sort of sustenance, maybe some sort of spurts of development. Technology is sort of the driving engine to, to making life better and cooler for everyone around the world. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time in human history where we've had the potential to solve so many problems as is right now. Of course, could it go the wrong way? Of course, anything could go the wrong way. But I think right now, there's, there's so much potential to solve a lot of problems using tech and STEM and all those other type of things. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. So, Katia, let's say there's a young female out there, either she just, she just got her STEM degree or she's thinking about going to STEM. What advice would you have for these, for these young females? I'd say get involved in sort of smaller activities or a one-time event just to see what it's like um, and try it out. I think there's certainly still stigma, unfortunately, um, for females getting into these sorts of things. Um, just even in the classroom, sort of speaking up or joining activities or competitions. Um, but, you know, I, very low investment, especially if the, if the girl is unsure whether or not she wants to do it, if it seems intimidating, just do it one little step at a time, you know, go to some sort of science club uh, meeting at the school or, you know, go to some sort of local event that's showcasing like robotics um, and just see sort of what you like and don't give up. You know, I certainly started off in, in nuclear, but have wandered my way outside of that, um, quite a bit outside of that. And I think it's certainly scary and hard to try out something different and see what you like, what you don't like. Um, but there's some, I think sort of the reason why events and the reason why, um, putting one step in, one foot in, um, get, can get people excited is if you do have good mentors and people who are, super enthusiastic about it. Like they'll be able to con convince them that it's, you know, it's, it's exciting and it's cool and that they can do it and show that, you know, there are people who there are women who have gone into the field and have been successful. So I, I, I remember a stat and I, I don't remember it's correct. And I'm pretty sure it is because it sounds, sounds right. But I think if I remember there's a stat that says that there's 80% of young females in elementary school are involved in STEM by the time they get to high school, only 10% of them are still in our STEM. How do we fix this? How do we go from like 80% to 10%? How do we keep the same number? Or is this just a society problem that we need to solve? Yeah, it's certainly a tricky puzzle. Uh, it's probably both. Um, it's probably societal pressures for um, what the girl does, what the girl doesn't do. Um, and I think... You know, there's cool TV shows like Big Bang Theory now that are showing that, oh, no, like females can be, um, you know, cool scientists that is helping drive the narrative the other way. Um, I think a lot of it probably comes from just who they, who they meet as well. Um, if they don't meet female engineers, rocket scientists, they're maybe not going to know that, yes, this is a totally legitimate career path and these people have done well and it is possible. 
um, to do it. Like the, I want to be like her um, sort of thing. I think within schools as well, having um, both, you know, very just science clubs that are open to, to everyone, but also some programs that are encouraging for, for females to, to get into STEM or maybe providing additional mentorship um, or advice. I've been a mentor or tutor for uh, different programs over the years. And, you know, it certainly, when I was in those programs, it certainly meant a lot to me to be able to ask questions that you feel like your teachers maybe won't understand or career advice that maybe they don't, your teachers don't even know how to answer. Um, but those sort of mentorship programs, those one-on-one connections, I think really can make a bigger impact too. Yeah, I think something as simple as, you know, you have an eight-year-old boy, you know, playing in the mud, you know, playing with worms and people, oh, he's just being a boy. And, but an eight-year-old girl goes and does, oh, you know, don't do that. You know, you'll get your dress dirty. I think it's something as simple as that. I mean, no one means anything, but I don't think, but I think that just reinforces what's, what's going on, you know. Totally. And that's, that's, that part is really hard to change because uh, then you have to change sort of the parents and the, and the upbringing. And I think that's only going to change over generations. Um, there's no sort of immediate way to change, change that on a massive scale. No, I agree. Katia, can you share your social media links so people can reach out to you? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. So either with my short name, Katia, K-A-T-I-A, then my last name, Paramanova, P-A-R-A-M-O-N-O-V-A. Um, and that's probably the easiest uh, one to start off with. Um, still developing up the website. Um, so that'll be, once I land down the name, can have a solid URL, but I'll be sure to announce that on LinkedIn uh, when that's ready. Yes, and we have the links to all our social media at, on our show notes. And you can find our show notes at www.cabinetshrblog.com. Katia, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you provide your, our listeners any advice on any subject you want to talk about? I would say, you know, similar to the podcast spirit, be great today. Every day is a, an exciting opportunity. And some days might be pretty challenging, uncertain, frustrating. Um, but know that things will change and just sort of be patient with it um, and persistent with where you want to go to in the end and sort of through the ups and the downs, eventually you'll get there. Katya, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. This was fun. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cabinet HR Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok at Cabinet HR. Also check out our weekly live streams at the Cabinet HR Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, where we focus each week on an HR topic important for small business. These are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and last around three minutes. To join our weekly HR email newsletter list, send us an email to jasoncabinets at cabinetshr.com. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.